True Crime Broads with Crystal and Renee. Welcome to True Crime Broads. This is Crystal and Renee. And thank you so much for joining us today. We have Bill Gilmore on the show today. And those of you have who have been following the Jennifer Kessie case for so long have probably heard of Bill. Bill is Jennifer Kessie's uncle. Um, his sister is Jennifer's mother. And Bill has written a book. It is called Aftermath of Jennifer Kessie's Abduction. And we're really happy that Bill has agreed to join us today on True Crime Broads. Can't wait. Thank you so much for listening to True Crime Broads. We would also love to see you on our social media. Our two main platforms are Instagram and Facebook under True Crime Broads. But we also have a presence on YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter. And also, if you listen to our podcast and enjoy it, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple. And also, there's an option on Apple to leave a review as well. Thank you for listening to True Crime Broads. Welcome back to True Crime Broads. We are really happy to have Bill Gilmore here today. For those of you following the Jennifer Kessie case, he is actually her uncle, and he wrote a fantastic book that was inspired by the ordeal that his family went through. It's called The Aftermath of Jennifer Kessie's Abduction, An Uncle's Quest for Understanding and Inspiring Life Lessons. Bill, thank you so much for joining us on True Crime Broads. No, thank you for having me. I'm honored. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I have followed Jennifer Kessie's case since the very beginning, and it's just so troubling and and just unbelievable that that hasn't been solved yet. I used to watch every single thing that came on about it, and each time I walked away baffled at, at this case. It is one of those things. You sit there and you shake your head. How does somebody vanish without a trace? I mean, absolutely nothing. It's so sad. I'm so sorry for what you and your... And I know your sister is Jennifer's mother and, Correct. and then of course her husband, the, her dad, and just, just horrible. I'm so sorry for what all your family has been through. It's just gut wrenching. And um, so your book is very inspiring. When exactly did your book come out? Book was released on January 22nd in, uh, in, in uh, uh, ebook form. And then about three weeks later, it was available in paperback. Okay. So this is very recent. Awesome. Yes. Okay. Fantastic. Exactly. Okay. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what kind of made you decide to write a book? I know, unfortunately, her disappearance was so long ago. What gave you the inspiration to sit down and write all this out? Well, you know, it's interesting because during COVID, we were all, you know, we all ended up being shut in to some degree. And I just started listening to a lot of podcasts and many of the podcasts I was listening to, they, the, the speakers or the guests would talk about the fact that everybody has at least one book in them, maybe right. three. And so I just kept hearing a repeated message that, um, that, we, that we all have a story to tell. And I began to think about what we were all as a, as a world globally uh, dealing with uh, during the COVID period. And I realized that over, increasingly over the years, we're just in so much um, a chaos. There's so much helplessness. Uh, people feel helpless to do anything about the circumstances they find themselves in. And I started just thinking about our own journey, my own journey, uh, from after after Jennifer was abducted, and I realized there is a story to tell here. And uh, I wanted to be able to share uh, what I went through, the the kinds of resources and people um, that I had come that that came alongside me to help me through the process 
with a goal that it would help somebody else. Because the, 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 the tragedy really is, is that we end up in isolation oftentimes. We feel that whatever we're going through um, is unique and that how would anybody uh, be able to relate to it? And so early on in the book, I actually bring in some research about comparative suffering to help people understand that it isn't helpful to actually compare our individual challenges and, and struggles because they're unique to us. But that doesn't mean that we can't have empathy and that we can't be a listening uh, ear for somebody who is going through um, you know, a, a difficult time. And I will say that probably the most challenging thing in the early days, weeks, and months after Jennifer went missing was a lot of people well-meaning wanted to offer quote unquote words of advice. And when you look back on it, what really would have been most helpful is just be there, you know, right. you know give a hug, just, just physically be present because the truth is there's nothing that anybody could really say that was going to be helpful. And, and I even say to my sister and brother-in-law, Drew, that, you know, uh, yeah, we're close, we're family, but we're not the parents. And, you know, to, to, to feel the gravity and the weight of what they've gone through, I just said, I'm, I'm not even going to go there because the truth is I can't place myself in their position. I can only right. have a glimpse of it. Just the devastation's unimaginable. And um, so, you know, from what I understand, Jennifer was an independent very conscientious person. This wasn't, you know, someone who partied a lot, and this wasn't someone who just kind of lost track of their lives. I mean, I've, I've heard countless times that she is the type of person that if she was going to be five minutes late, she would let you know, Hey, I'm running five minutes late, but I'll be there. So for her to just disappear out of her entire life structure with no warning, that's completely out of character. Absolutely. And that was why the alarm bells went off so quickly. Uh, I, we, my, uh, our family lived in Lake Mary, so we were, we were physically the closest to where Jen lived. And my sister, I, I was in the air traveling to New Jersey. And when I got off the plane, I had all these messages from my sister. And we just went, we ended up literally playing telephone tag until about six o'clock that night. So it wasn't until six o'clock Tuesday, the 24th, that I, I learned that Jennifer was missing. And it was just crazy because they were hoping that I was going to be able to get down to the condo and find out, you know, what was going on. Was her car present? Was she there? Was she hurt? Um, so in, instead, obviously, they couldn't reach me. But immediately they all left. The Joyce, Drew, Logan all left from the Bradenton area and then drove over to Orlando. OK, what 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 part of Florida were you living in at the time? So we lived in Lake Mary, which is Seminole County. It's only about 20 minutes from Orlando. It's okay. just Yes. Okay. And her parents were living where? They were living in Bradenton, which is out in Sarasota, Manatee County area. So on the West Coast. So so much farther away than you were. Yeah. I do oh. remember hearing that they were far away and that's great that they had you there close, um, relatively close compared to them. Right. Um, what, you know, it's, it's so wonderful to see an inspiring book come out of this hor horrifying story. Um, I know you've been a lot of strength for the family, her parents, especially. So what are some things that are going on now? Is there, I mean, obviously their pain will never completely subside, but how are they doing now? Are they okay? Are they moving forward? Are they hopeful that the investigation is still moving forward as well? Well, I would say that the bottom line is, and it, it, you'll never get over it. Um, time does not heal these wounds. Um, so, you know, they get through each day, but 
after the uh, the Orlando Police Department in the fall finally agreed to turn over the case to the uh, Florida Department of Law Enforcement, that gave hope because they've been fighting for that for more than four years. Actually, in total, it was probably more than 10 years that they were looking for the Orlando PD to basically declare the case a cold case so that other resources from other organizations could be brought to bear on the case. But obviously, and I know in the podcast uh, that you just did a couple of weeks ago, uh, you, you, you nailed it that when they finally got the records and realized, I mean, it was more, it was almost another victimization to go through those files and realize essentially that you've been lied to for years. There wasn't wow. an, That's so wasn't sad. In that file for, since 2012. And here it's active that, you know, that we can't turn it over because, you know, we're still following up things. It's just, it's just heartbreaking. And, and, you know, we, we all say we have family members that are in law enforcement. We support law enforcement. But unfortunately, there are some situations where the leadership are the ones that actually fail the rank and file. And I think that was true in this case. Um, whatever reasons, you know, they just didn't take the case as seriously as they should have from the very beginning. And yeah, that was- it sounds like they were trying to say that she just took off because she and her boyfriend had a fight or something and they tried to pass it off as something like that. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, if had they actually listened, I mean, it, we understand every family uh, that goes through this is going to say, oh, that's not that person. You know, they're more responsible than that. But the police had that same information from her, her employer, from coworkers, from management. They all said the same thing. So it wasn't like we were just saying, no, this is out of character for Jen. It actually was out of character. Right. Um, and taking it seriously. Wow. Do you feel like, or does anyone think that Orlando PD finally did start to take that seriously and really dug into the case? Um, Based on what I know, I I don't think so. I think that they began to realize over the years that when when it's mishandled from the very beginning, it's almost not recoverable, right? I mean, the things that should have been done weren't done. So how do you do it? And then as the years go by, it just becomes increasingly more difficult. So to answer your question, we're most hopeful now that the case has been turned over to Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And in the last chapter of the book, I, I worked on that with my brother-in-law. There were there were some specific things that they have been asking for years, and so those are outlined. And, and essentially, what the family's position is that if these five or six things actually get done, and then uh, all the parties can come together, review this information, and come to a conclusion that says there is no pathway forward. Um, humanly speaking, to, to solve this case, then we can rest saying that we've done everything possible. But we haven't done everything possible until, you know, the FDLE gets through with their uh, examination and, and re-examination of, of evidence and the files. Well, I'm glad to hear they're working on it. That's comforting on some level. Absolutely. Yeah. So what has, um, what kind of feedback have you gotten on the book? Well, actually, it's, it's been very surprising, um, and especially from people that we know are, you know, extended family members. Uh, the first thing, which just tells me that the goal that I had set in working with my editors, we accomplished, and that is that the authenticity and the vulnerability with which I shared is resonating with people uh, to the point where one of my wife's cousins actually said she was surprised that we would share that much about our marriage and our struggles. Mm-hmm. and. Of course, that was the point because we all go through 
uh, trials and testings. None of our lives are the quote unquote Facebook or social media lives, right? We, there, it's it, right. relationships are messy, marriages are messy, um, and why not just acknowledge it? Because if we don't acknowledge it, then we we don't actually um, uh, entertain help, and right. and that's part of what I'm trying to uh, trying to share is by sharing vulnerably my uh, experiences, my growth. Uh, it's to show that something good can come out of something bad. And so, you know, clearly generous abduction is just one of the most horrific things that you can go through. You would never ask for that. However, uh, I am grateful that as a result of that, it brought me to my knees and I began to reflect and look at my life very differently than I likely would have. And um, I'm, I'm hoping that through the, the telling of, of my story and intersecting with the stories of other people, um, that, that the reader will realize, hey, wait a minute, you know what, wherever the current situation I'm in does not have to be that last chapter of my life story. I can rewrite it. I can rescript my life. Right. And that's what I'm really looking for is I'd like to see people embrace life transformation because it will then have a, a, a ripple effect in the, in the present and into the future. Right, right. Yeah, we want to encourage our listeners to read the book. It's very inspiring and definitely about turning things around spiritually. Such a great book. I think um, I, I was able to, um, you know, and by the way, thank you for the book. Um, oh, well, I was able to read. I'm sorry. To, it, it cut out. Yeah, I'm sorry. You have to thank Bob Haynes because Bob was the one that called me a week ago Tuesday and told yes. me that he had sent the book out and he had reached out to you. He responded to your call last, uh, your last episode about this case. That was so, so nice of him. Yes. We just yeah. love Bob. Yeah. Shout out to Bob. <laughs> He's the best. We love him. Well, I was able to read, um, I have obviously I haven't finished the book, but I was able to read um, up until the first four chapters and um, okay. it is inspiring. Um, it is. Um, I think that you sharing your, uh, personal, you know, um, uh, situation that had came from all of this, uh, horrific, um, abduction of your niece. I, I really think it does resonate with people and it makes, you know, them feel like, you know, Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, we, we all have something. And I, I really think that speaks a lot. Speaks a, 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 it just helps, I guess, make people feel like there's, there's hope. And that's what you mentioned in there a lot that there's hope. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, we really appreciate that point of view because we hear about cases all the time and they're just so desperately sad. So this is the first time we've seen a book of an inspiring book of hope come out of one case. Mm -hmm. It's really nice to see. Um, so what are you thinking now about what what are the next steps? Are you have you heard anything that's going on in the investigation or are they keeping that pretty hush hush? Well, it, it has been quiet, but again, that only happened at the end of the year. I think it was November 20, uh, 28th, uh, thereabouts, that the uh, FDLA took possession of it. Okay. And so the realistic expectation was going to take them a while to digest um, all those records. Um, I will be seeing Drew uh, next month. We'll be down in Florida, so I'll get a little bit of an update then. But um, I don't think that they were expecting an immediate, um, you know, any immediate feedback because they understand. Right going through it over the last four and a half, five years themselves and with their private investigator team, th there's a lot there. And so um, I think importantly, they're going to be looking to sit down with them and share what they've seen um, and from their perspective, their team has seen and see if uh, we can help accelerate that process a bit. Right, right. Was there anything 
were there some big surprises that came out of the private investigation piece of this investigation? Because it sounds like it went on for quite a few years. I think you said five or six. Um, was there new information, surprising information? I know the things that that when they were when they were shared with me uh, that shocked me. Of course, number one was what I had mentioned earlier was to find out that all these years nothing has been done when they were saying that something was being done. So that that very frustrating and very disheartening because you you want to believe the people that are actively working on a case. But then the other thing was was that what had not been released is that there appeared to be from photographs that there was a struggle on the hood of the car. Right. And, and, and you know. I guess maybe time in this case was good because if we had known that earlier on, uh, that may have, create, may have created more anxiety uh, and fear potentially. But but it's still one of those things that Joyce and Drew should have been told that, um, and they should have they should have been told that that there was evidence that something had occurred, even if they didn't know what it was. Right? Did they give you an explanation of why they didn't no. tell that information? No. Wow. No. That's sad. yeah. I mean, Basically, you know, essentially it was crickets, uh, you know, and, and even the distribution of the records uh, by court order was supposed to have been done in a specific period of time, which was not met. And they kept getting these tranches of records over the course of several years. So, it, it, you know, it's, it's just it's just frustrating. And I think the sad part is that you think about how many other families are going through the same thing, but maybe don't have either the wherewithal or the ability um, to continue to keep a story in the news. And that's what I, what I find so helpful and encouraging uh, about the true crime podcast community is that there are people who are taking interest in cases and trying to keep them alive. So thank you to you and, and to your associates that are, that are um, in this uh, community of trying to help families try to you know, maybe prod and push law enforcement to look a little deeper because it's, it's, it unfortunately is the old if you, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the uh, grease. Shouldn't have to be that way. But I just wish, um, and I say this in the book, that if people that are involved in investigations and these types of cases, if they could just put themselves in the position of the families that are directly impacted and think, if this was my daughter, my niece, my granddaughter, whatever, my relative, what would I want to be done? How would I want this to be handled? And then just right. do that. And then just do that. Exactly. There'd never be a situation where honesty is diminished. Just be honest. I mean, it, it, it is not helpful to not be honest with the, the families. Right. The families really should be the priority. Absolutely. Yeah. The victims' families. Absolutely. Part with, with what I'm seeing as I'm tracking with the, the the true crime community is that there is a and when I look at the the um, uh, the comments and the things that your listeners post, it tells me there's a lot of people that care. They really want they, 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 they you know they're frustrated just like families are, and so they're trying to weigh in as much as they can uh, and influence as much as they can. Um, the people that are active, actively involved in, in trying to solve these cases. Right, right. People really do care and yep. people really do get emotionally wrapped up in it. Obviously, nothing like the actual family, but people really do get engaged and get invested and want to see a good outcome, the best yep. outcome possible. And if there can't be a good outcome, at least that the people responsible get held responsible. So right. um, do you feel like, I, I know there's things you can't tell me and probably don't even know, but do you, does, is the basic feeling that this new entity will get this investigation to a better place? 
I believe so. Yeah. Okay, and, and I know he feels that way. Uh, that he, and I think he specifically posted in the, on the GoFundMe page uh, for Jen that they, they believe at this point it's the best hope for some clarity and some direction and maybe even just answers, even if the answer is there is no open pathways to, to, to a solution. But at least we'll know that they've given it um, the best try possible. Yeah. Right. That's so hard. Um, so have you been on a lot of shows lately? Yeah, I, or? This is the uh, first one. So Okay. Uh, oh, wonderful. We're very honored yeah. oh, nice. that you joined us. Yeah, That's fantastic. Yeah, since the book was released, it is something that I'm going to be looking to do more of. Like I said, last week was just very interesting when Bob called. He was just so excited. He said, I just want to let you know that I've reached out to, you know, to um, Crystal and to Renee. I followed their podcast. And, and then he said to me, are you are you going to be going to CrimeCon? And I said, Bob, I'm not actually sure I know what that is. So he told me. <laughs> and so I'm actually I, I actually am looking at uh, attending uh, CrimeCon in September. I'm, I'm looking to reach out and see if as a family member um, of a victim that I understand from the past years that they have had panels and so Absolutely. forth. Absolutely. Yes. Definitely. So. Right. 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 And, um, you know, you're lucky because you're right there in Florida. It's in Orlando this year. Uh, Renee that, and I went year before last when it was in Austin. That's probably a three hour drive from mm-hmm. our houses, but that's it, great that you're right there in Florida. We want to go this year and we're trying to plan, but logistically it's a little harder when you're as far away as we are. But good for yep. you that you're close by. You should absolutely go and take your take some of your books and get a table and talk to people. We had a yep. guest on our show that we met at CrimeCon. You make a lot of connections and get some exposure for the case. However, Jennifer Kessie's case is so popular already. There's so many people have been following it for so many years that you will probably encounter people who are already very aware of it. But yes. you may you may also be able to introduce some people to it as well. And and we met a woman named Anita who was promoting her sister's case, and she had a book as well. And we met her. We just kept walking by her table, and we stopped and introduced ourselves. And then just a couple of weeks later, after we got back home, she was a guest on our show. So it's definitely a place that you'll want to be. Get some more eyes on Jennifer's case, and get some more eyes on your book. It's really it's really a great event. I think you're going to love it. And I think it's interesting that it is in Orlando this year because, uh, you know, as you know, if you've tracked the case um, and and I I call out one specific individual in the last chapter um, that while there isn't a belief that he may be directly involved, uh, he does know something about what happened. um, And that person. Yeah. And so. What I had, what I've said in the, at the in the last chapter is, and what my ask is, is for people to continue to pray that hearts are broken, because I think you know as well as I that the only way someone will ultimately come forward with the information that they know about Jennifer's case is when their heart is broken to the point where they can no longer just keep it to themselves, mm-hmm. and that they have or. And so I, I, it is was interesting when Bob mentioned that that it was going to be in Orlando. As I'm thinking, well. You know, just maybe this is the year where we get some traction, because if we can generate a lot of publicity on the case, I'm hoping, as I say, with the book that uh, one of the things I say is that regardless of how we start life, we always have an opportunity to finish well. So we're not always going to be um, released from the consequences of actions um, that we either uh, intentionally decide to do um, or things that come at us. But on the other side, as as I share with a couple of those stories there, that there's always the opportunity to finish well. 
And so mm-hmm. I'm hoping that someone will finally come to realize that is, is it really worth keeping to myself and, and, and continuing to create pain for the family or other families when, yeah, you know what? I may have to pay a price. I may have to do jail time, but I'm still going to be able to uh, uh, rescript my life. I can, I can create a different narrative for the rest of my life. And maybe by starting by doing the right thing would be a good place to begin. Right. Absolutely. I don't know how a person lives with herself on something like that. I mean, there's been, um, I remember uh, one time I, stupid example, but I went to Walmart and I guess I had set something under my purse. And when I got out to my car, it was, um, I don't remember a CD or something so many years ago. And I like broke my neck getting back into Walmart. Like, Here, I got to pay for this. Oh my God. <laughs> you know? So I don't even know how it doesn't even compare to murder or abduction or anything like that. How do people live with themselves? I don't understand it. Yeah. I guess that we see fear can be such an overwhelming uh, emotion that the fear of the unknown and not knowing what those consequences will be mm-hmm. or Plain out selfishness, which I I talk a lot about. Um, obviously, I, I was one of those, you know. And we all, I mean, by nature, we're all essentially selfish or self-centered. Um, you know, that's just the way we're wired. But but ultimately, we 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 need to become more other focused, mm-hmm. and become more other focused. I think that's where that hardship begins to occur. Wow! Right. Yeah, that's that's mind blowing to me. How they sleep at night. Yeah. Yeah. But it'll take it. it, There's just going to be one moment and that's all it's going to take. And this is hopefully like dominoes. You get one person to open up and provide the piece of information that's needed. And then we can see where this goes. I think you're right, though, about uh, fear, because we think about that often in in the the Missy Beaver's case and other cases, of course, uh, where people are probably know something, but they're afraid to come forward. And there's so many um, options for them to be, um, you know, anonymous. They don't have to reveal who they are. Um, They can do it by text. They can do it by email. They can do it by call. I mean, there's so many options and, you know, they don't have to reveal who they are and they can give the information needed. And Crime Stoppers can reduce you down to a number. They won't even take your information. Yeah. They don't know anything about you. So it's just sad. Early on, there was an attorney that was uh, involved in the case and, and his number was given out because they figured this way they could just speak to the attorney and then it'll be attorney client privilege. But at least he could he could then share the information without having to disclose who the person was that gave him the information. Wow, that's but smart. When, but when you consider um, the, the numbers of um, uh, rewards that have been posted, I mean, at one point, and I don't remember exactly when it was, but it was probably within the first 30 days, if I recall correctly. But uh, Jen's employer posted up a $1 million reward. And you would, you would think that $1 million reward would have moved the needle, that it would have, it, nothing. Yeah. Which is really quite, quite remarkable. That is mind blowing. I don't even have words. What does the reward stand at now? Is I it think still- it's that 15,000. Okay. 15,000. Okay. And what about the surveillance video? And, the per- they think that that's probably the person that took her. Well, certainly the person that drove the car, right? I mean, okay, it, it, right. Far off, uh, but you know, I, I think when you uh, look back in there, there was a, there was a woman, if I recall, her name was Morgan. I don't know that her last name was ever reported, but she she had been living in that uh, you know the complex, the mall. I mean, the uh, mosaic at Millennia, and she 
talked about a uh, somebody that was on, in the maintenance or construction crew that was constantly walking around and when and and described this person physically. When she saw the video, she said that looked an awful lot like <laughs> this particular individual. And so, but they never, you know, again, so there's always been two people that are missing, Jen mm. and this interest. Right, and, right. And I would say this, that there was enough information uh, on those videos that if you actually knew that person, you would say, yeah, that looks you like. You could identify him, yeah. Right. Yeah, because we've all been there, you know, in a darkened parking lot from a distance, we've recognized somebody the way they walk or the way they're moving be- long before we actually saw them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I've always said that I believe that that somebody knows who that person is. Mm-hmm. They just aren't willing to come forward yet. Is it true that when the person was passing by those slats and the iron fence that it just happened to obscure their face each time? Yeah, because because it was the frame rate. Again, we're, that's the hard part today is to remember the technology back 17 years ago is not what it is today. Right. Uh, and so the frame rate on the on the camera, it was every other frame and every other frame. There was a metal pole there. So <sighs> unbelievable. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I hate that. It, it, it's so frustrating. But to me, I mean, you can still tell that the person is shorter. Um, and of course, it's a man. I mean, there's there's still things you can tell from it. Yeah, I've heard people say it looked like they had painter pants on. Mm-hmm. I've heard all the speculation over the years. Yeah, exactly. And again, when you're dealing with the black and white, that that era of uh, that video camera systems, it wasn't really mm-hmm. they, they weren't sure. Yeah. Uh, about- so, I mean, and that goes back to even the things like the, uh, the cell phone, you know, today, you know, they can be pretty accurate with a ping on a cell phone. Back then they couldn't. Right. Uh, so there was a lot of speculation back then that all turned out to be completely incorrect. But. Well, I think with um, back to CrimeCon, I think with CrimeCon being in Orlando, which is where this horrible case took, you know, began, I think that that would be a great place for you to make connections and to potentially meet people that, oh God, goodness, it'd be wonderful even about someone who might know something, or maybe you could just appeal to people. But I, it seems like anytime crime con is in a town, they have a high percentage of local people who come, you know, like Renee and I were close enough to drive to the one in Texas. So you probably will connect with a lot of Florida people that might've been in the area at that time, in addition to meeting other people. So that might be a really good experience for you. Let us know if you end up going and we'll look for you. Yeah, at this point, I'm definitely leaning on, on on going there because I, as I've been seeing over the last couple of weeks, that um, uh, it seems it seems as though uh, uh, being getting more d- directly involved with the uh, true crime community is where I should be investing time because it's going to be where people care about and want to see these cases solved, and so they'll probably take a little bit more of an interest in potentially sharing. Uh, the story as well, because again, that's part of the, the part of the pr- process here is that we want to see lives changed. And the only way we do that is by helping people realize that there is another side there. Uh, there, there is uh, the, the flip side to that point, right? Uh, right. We can start off poorly, but we can finish well. Right. That's so important. And we're so happy that you're spreading that message because that's not one we hear a lot in the true crime community. No, it's, it's yeah. more of um, what is the reason behind um, their interest in, in the cases. And I mean, it's just, you know, these people represent us. They could be our daughters. They could be our mothers, our sisters, you know, our brothers, our, you know, whatever. So yeah. that's the reason we have interest in them. And 
Um, and it's just something that I, you almost can't let go until it's solved. Exactly. And I know that, you know, my sister and brother-in-law will not, uh, we as a family will not. I mean, we still hold that hope that Jennifer is alive and that will be found. I mean, when mm-hmm. you look at like Tracy Dugard and others, there's been many cases over the last number of years where people were held for extraordinary amounts of time mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. freedom where we're released. It's a, it, but it is mind numbing, right? To think that someone could be held in a residential area mm-hmm. with, <laughs> seemingly under the radar. But you, you touched on something earlier about um, what readers are saying, and, and, and that I think it ties to the last conversation, and that is one person wrote something, and I, up the paraphrase, that when they picked it up, they were glad that it wasn't uh, about you know, going back into the details of Jen's case, but more of what can happen after you go through the experience. And, and that really was the goal, and that was why I used the term aftermath. Because I didn't want uh, people to believe that it was going to be kind of a revisiting of the entire case, because I didn't really feel that that was necessary. Number one, there's a lot of a lot of information that's out there. But number two, um, I want my sister and brother-in-law to be able to tell that story. That's their story to tell. And I had said to them last year when I was down there, as as this book was beginning to coalesce pretty well, I went down and spent a week with them just to make sure that they were good with everything and, and the way in which it was going to be written and outlined and so forth, which they were. And I said to them that maybe the hope will be is that if we can if we can successfully get this part of the story um, done, then I said, I would love to work with you on telling your story because they absolutely have a story that that needs to be told. And uh, every family that experiences this does. Yes. A matter of getting these stories done because the only way we're going to see systemic change is when the families go uh, are able to share, able to share, because obviously there's a lot of pain that goes through, uh, goes, you know, that's involved with revisiting these situations. But it's like the tip of the iceberg. We all know or publicly available is the stuff that we see above the surface of the water. But below is, is all the nitty gritty, the real mess. Things like the amount of money, the tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars that they've had to spend, uh, you know, even from the very beginning, having to spend about $15,000 in legal and judicial fees just to get a guardianship from their daughter. And it, you, you sit back after these events occur and you say, that doesn't even seem like it makes sense. That should be a simple one page form that mm-hmm. you judge signs off. It shouldn't have to be this big ordeal. Because you can imagine, mortgage company, car companies, all these companies were, were going after them, trying to get their payments, right? And they're mm-hmm. like, watching the news, our daughter's been abducted. Right. We don't have the legal right to act on her behalf. And so it, it, I'm telling you, it, it's, just, it, it's just amazing what, what the families have to go through for years after wow. the they really should have something for victims, families in place. Like you said, just a simple form, something, get it, get it notarized, get an affidavit of some kind, but not to have yep. to pay $15,000 on top of the horror of what you're already going through. Exactly. You know, that, a mess. that needs just, to be. Re- yeah. Just so you can get people off your back, right? It's like you're, you're, you have enough on your plate and then you got people chasing after you because they want the money that's owed to them. Right. Absolutely. That's horrible. Yeah. Well, that's another really good thing that can come out of of your book and your research and your experience in this case. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? 
No, I just appreciate the opportunity to speak about it. And I think that the more conversation that takes place, especially moving more towards victims, families, what they're enduring, what they're experiencing, um, I would love to be in to start. And, and even last year when Drew and I were together, I asked him about this. And he said, to this point, there still really isn't uh, an organization that's out there to really support victims' families. There's some of these national organizations they're not really at the level that we talk about, which is getting you know into the uh, trenches with families and providing right. the they need. And so um, I'm beginning to start to, to feel as though this may be a direction that I'll be looking to go in, um, is to be able to bring voice to, to the idea that um, we need to come alongside these families. They're dealing with enough. And it was just fortunate that our family, we, you know, we, we came together as a family um, and we're able to uh, do the things that needed to be done. But, you know, there's a lot of families that don't. And so we need to be there for them. Right. Absolutely. There's just so much that you don't even think about that I'm sure is just hitting the family from all these different angles while you're trying to sort out your own emotions and everything that you're going through. Well, thank you so much for being on our show today. We really enjoyed having you on, Bill. Yeah. We're super thankful again to Bob for introducing us. Yeah. And where where can we, where could our listeners purchase your book? It's not available at, I mean, primarily Amazon. Obviously, it is available online through Barnes and & Noble. And, Great, and, okay. Uh, and then I also have uh, my own website, inspiringhopedaily.com. Um, it, it's available there. But more importantly, the reason I have Inspiring Hope Daily is that I'm looking to create community. Uh, I would like ultimately to see this evolve to a point where people have a place to go for resources, to be able to share whatever they're going through uh, so that ultimately uh, others can benefit from those stories. Because we all know storytelling has, has been part of the human experience for thousands of years. Um, but unfortunately, there are times where we feel like we shouldn't share our story or we don't, we're not comfortable sharing because we don't want to kind of, quote unquote, air our dirty laundry. But ultimately, when we do share and we do share so uh, vulnerably and authentically, I think it opens the doorway for people to realize, you know what, it's OK to actually be honest, not only with myself, but with others about what I'm going through, because that's when you'll be able to engage in help that you need. And that's what I'm hoping uh, in the long term we can accomplish. Wow, that's great. We are so honored to have you on the show. And we we will link your website and the link to your book on our social media. And please let us know if you'd ever like to come on again. Hopefully there'll be some kind of an update in, the, in Jennifer's case and we can all get together and chat again. That would be the ultimate. Yes. Um, well, thank you so much for your time. And we, we really loved having you on. Thanks for your inspirational message. Thank you. I greatly appreciate it. And thank all your listeners for, uh, for participating in your podcast. All right. Well, thank, thank you so you. much. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I forgot how to speak English there for a minute. I said message. Oh, <laughs> I don't know how to talk right. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Page 2 Inspection Services, LLC. Specializing in foundation inspection reporting, commercial, residential, and home or mixed-use properties. They handle prompt reporting and services at the most competitive price in the structural engineering field. PAL Engineering Services also specializes in structure, structure reporting, and mechanical engineering in the Dallas-Fort Worth, Houston, and throughout the state of Texas. They do structural inspection, track full home inspection and evaluation, foundation inspection and repair plan, modular home inspection, pest inspection, mechanical and electrical inspections, drainage plans, and retaining walls. Be sure and 
check them out at uh, www.page2inspections.com or www.palengineeringinc.com. The phone number to reach them at is 972-268-4140. Thank you for supporting True Crime Broads. Yes. Yeah.